Welcome to Ira's Everything Bagel, where I talk with intriguing people about everything, their passions, pursuits, and points of view. People are definitely passionate about food, and my guest is passionate about the food and beverage industry. He's Michael Politz, publisher, CEO, and founder of Food and Beverage Magazine, which provides authoritative coverage of trends and industry news and is an online destination for restaurants and hospitality influencers. For everything about food and beverage, go to fbmagazine.com, and you can follow the magazine on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ira. I just wanted to hear you talk more about me. It was very exciting to hear your voice. (laughs) Well, we're going to talk about you first before the magazine, because that's what I like to do on the show, is have our listeners get a sense of you. How did you know at an early age, and it was an early age, that you were destined to be an entrepreneur? You know, it's so funny, Ira. It's true. Like, I remember being like eight or nine years old, walking around with a box of greeting cards. And I, I write about this in my book, Guide to Restaurant Success, because it was so impactful into my life. I remembered like lugging this box of greeting cards and just selling them to my neighbors so I could get this any prize or toy that I wanted off of this sheet that they had. And it's like, if you sell this much, you'll get this. Exactly. If you sell that much. I don't even know if they even do that anymore. It's, I wish they did. They could pay me to talk about it. Because, I mean, honestly, it was like, it was so impactful in my life. Like, I remember, I think I got like a brass tuba. I don't even know why I got a brass tuba. I, I just think that was the most expensive. I think I picked from the most expensive column. That's yeah, but wait a minute. When you're carrying around this box, though, what brought you to the box? In other words, what was going on in your head that you knew you wanted to go around selling stuff? I, you know, I must have been looking at a comic book or some book, maybe Mad Magazine or something at that time, right, when you're that young. And, you know, have you heard of Mad? You're a little younger than me, Ira. Have you heard of Mad Magazine? Absolutely. Okay, just a second. Yes. Um, what? what? Had... Wait, wait, wait. What? Me what? worry? Oh, it's true. Oh, that's Mad, that's Mad a... Magazine. Alfred that's E. Newman. Right. Alfred E. Newman. Oh, my God. They must have had an ad or something in the back. Earn this or win this or get that. <laughs> something. And something just sparked in me, man, and never freaking left. Now, I don't know if it's a stupidity thing or it's, it's, it's a drive. Sometimes I think it's a stupidity thing. But what if it's you a know? combination of both? Well, I try at this point in my life to like unstupefy everything. So it's like, <laughs> I think it's a really good idea. I try to like back off. Well, now but, you're, you're an entrepreneur, Michael, but you then define it or I would say refine it into a very specific area, which is food and beverage. How'd you make the leap from just a generalized entrepreneurial spirit right, to getting into food and beverage? Best. That is the greatest question ever asked to Michael Pollard. Thank you. And, third, and, and I like to speak to myself as third person. Yeah, and you are, a thir- you are a third person. There's me, you, right. and, and then Michael Pollard. Yes. And then there's Michael Pollard. <laughs> um, so when I was young, when I was in college, I was always coming up, and I went to a university of Maryland and then I transferred to American universities where I graduated from and, I was always coming up with ideas to make money. I don't know why. I didn't need to have money. Like, I, I, my dad was a wealthy doctor. Thank God I was with silver spoon in my mouth. But I wanted to do it. So I was doing T-shirts at one point, selling T-shirts. And then all of a sudden, somehow, some way, I got into the flower business, believe it or not. I don't even know if you knew that about me. No, right? flower was, as, in, as in poppies or flower as in the flower for making baking? Flower as in floral, right? So okay. I started this thing called Just Roses. Just roses, just like that. And I would take, because when you buy roses, you bought them in 25. So you would be able to buy one bunch of roses and split them up and sell them by the dozen because you bought them wholesale. So I, and, and at that point in, in, in the 80s, they were like a nickel a piece. 
like the rose itself was like a nickel a piece. It was nothing. It's like for a dozen roses, I would sell them for nine ninety nine. Well, wait a minute. A dozen a, roses is twenty four. You said you bought twenty five. I bought well. There was one extra in case you broke one. Oh, okay. So, so then I would have two dozen. And I'd be able to break them apart and sell them. And God forbid, at least I'd have one left if I broke one. So I had to be very careful. So I used to have my fraternity brothers. And, and Ira, back in the day, there used to be things called fraternities in college, <laughs> which is a fine group of men yes. together with a common cause raising money for fine charities. No, 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 no. The common cause was partying. Well, I was in a fraternity called A.E. Pi, and we were a fine group of men. So um, are you familiar with A.E. Pi, Ira? I am not. Oh, my God. It's the Jewish house. I see. Okay. All right. You should have known that. Ira. I'm disappointed in the outreach. I'm disappointed in the outreach. So my, I have all my fraternity brothers and everybody help me. And somehow I cut them in. I don't even remember how I would cut them into the deal. And we would like, we literally canvas the school and, and we, I, we would all have backpacks. We would have flyers and we'd staple them on boards and all over the floors and the dorm rooms. So I, I would just literally sell roses and people would call and, and there was no electronics then. So people would have to call a landline. And that's how I built this business. Fast forward, I end up getting a lot of different accounts, restaurants, and everything for all different kinds of flowers. I opened up American Wholesale Floral in Rockville, Maryland, where I'm from Maryland, right outside of DC. My first store opened up, it was a giant warehouse of wholesale flowers open to the public, and I bought direct from the farms. It was amazing. Amazing. And my only sort, only place I advertised in two places. One was sports radio, because I wanted all the guys to come in and buy cheap roses. And I knew if they came in and they had a wedding, they wouldn't want to spend a lot on the wedding, so they'd buy our flowers cheaper. And I would advertise in restaurant trade magazines to get my, my standing orders. So we always knew every Monday we had 30 restaurants or 40 restaurants to deliver to. And at the end of all that, I decided... Whatever I leave this business, I'm going into publishing because this is a friggin' racket because the cost of that. Then, hence comes Food and Beverage Magazine. Yeah, but wait a minute. How did you make the wait a minute though? How did you make the leap from flowers to food and beverage though? That, that because I, I sold the flower empire. Restaurants were, were part of your clientele, right? Restaurants, so, yeah. hotels, all hospitality that was dealing with flowers. And I said to myself, I so what I would do is back in the day we had these things called fax machines. I don't know if you remember that. Yes, uh, yes, I do. <laughs> so we would do we would do bulk faxes, right? So on that list would be all the restaurants, all the hotels, all the hospitality, right? Because they would be the ones buying flowers. And I would literally shoot out every whatever day it was. It could have been every morning, possibly, our entire price sheet. And then I would advertise in the local bag. So I had a bunch of stores all over the country. So I would find the restaurant trade publications or hotel trade publications and advertise in them, whether they were association publications or whatever. And there was not one source that I could have gone to that really gave them everybody the proper information. So I became friends with a lot of the, um, a lot of the owners of the, of the, of the publication. And I'm like, you guys aren't doing this right from an entrepreneurial standpoint on you know, how they were doing their marketing of their newspapers, magazines, whatever it was. So I said to myself, I said, Michael Polis, because again, back at the Oh, yes, person, third party, yes. And I said, Michael Polis, you need to get into publishing of a restaurant trade magazine because these people are not doing it right. When you sell this floral empire, that's what your next, your next thing is going to be. And there you go. Yes. Hence, therefore, 2001, I got out of the flower business. Thank God, just in the nick of time, because then the grocery store started carrying a lot more variety. You could 
run into a grocery store and pick something up cheap. Including Trader, including Trader Joe's, yes. Including Trader Joe's. And I actually almost put myself out of business in the D.C. area because I, I consulted for the flowers for a bunch of those Safeways, and there was something called Giant Foods and, I, and Shopper's Food Warehouse. I consulted with our floral departments, helped them get organized. And it was fun. I had a good time. And then there came publishing. Now, before we, before we get into the publishing, though, I have to, this is, I have another great question because you said mm-hmm. one of my questions was great. Here's another one. When you have that kind of entrepreneurial spirit, is it compatible with a sense of self-reflection or is it to the exclusion of self-reflection? Wow. I think um, self-reflection meaning what? Looking, looking, looking inward and looking for your motivation as to why you do this, why you do that, taking a step back, maybe not necessarily going full board on a new investment or a new project, but looking in and say, okay, am I developing as a person as well as an entrepreneur? No. Okay. Because I always thought that that was... <laughs> However, I will tell you that, by the way... Because <laughs> I always thought part of, you, <laughs> part of your charm, besides being a third person, is that you do have a level of, I would call... Oh, let's, I have to use the right term. You, you, do, you have a level of non-self-reflection, so you just charge ahead and you do stuff. How's like that? a bull in a china club. Yes, 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 yes. Well, I will tell you this. So when I was 28 in the floral business, Entrepreneur Magazine, as I remember, as a kid, all I read was Entrepreneur and Inc. and all these great magazines. that were, that were Entrepreneur Magazine listed me as one of the top 40, under 40 in the country. They had my picture. They had a whole big thing, which, which at that time, pre, pre-internet stuff, was a pretty, pretty important thing. Oh, absolutely. Pretty, Big deal. Pretty exciting. Yep. I think that fueled my spark even worse. Like, but I do see, I know what you're saying about the self-reflection stuff. And I see a lot of organizations that my friends are all involved in that I'm not, like young entrepreneurs or young YPOs, young presidents organizations. And, and I see them doing this self-reflection of their entrepreneurship to do bigger and better things. I do see that. And I envy it. I just don't have that in me for some reason. Well, I appreciate you being honest about it because that's even more of an important aspect to your personality that you're honest about not being self-reflective. Well, I see these guys are like, they're all going to meetings. They're all going to like getaways where they're learning from each other and they're doing, you know, I have a lot of friends now that, that like, they know my other friends because I start seeing it on Facebook and Instagram. I see them on outings and groups with these other entrepreneur guys. Little do they know, most of the other entrepreneur guys had big investors or rich parents to give them money. Or, you know what I mean? So I don't know that you're always getting the right story. I don't think the narrative is always written properly. But also, too, Michael, I'm not even talking about social awareness or doing social good. I'm thinking more in terms of a, a personal look at why you are driven the way you're driven. So in other words, you've been doing this successfully for many decades. Do you ever take a step back and go, okay, now let's see what else I could be doing in addition to this. And it may not necessarily be social good. It just may be doing something with your family or doing something altogether different. Well, yeah, I think that, you know, listen, the the end result is to have happy kids, happy wife, happy home life, happy, beautiful things around you, beautiful, whatever, you know, whatever you float your boat, like, Listen, when I was a kid, I'd be like a beer can collector. Now it's, you know, now it's something else. But, it, but you work hard to gain these things, which is exciting. And I think that, yeah, I'm always looking to advance further, right? So we publish Food and Beverage Magazine, and we've got 14 million readers a month, and it's, it is a monster. What can I do with that readership, with those loyal readers, with that industry, 
being a leader in that my personality does not come out through it because we're not left. We're not right. We're not political. We're not religious. We're just factual. We are what we are. We do not criticize restaurants. So there's no negativity coming out of that. Well, I think, too, though, and I want to get into, into detail about Food and Beverage Magazine because it's a great read. And you, I want to ask about your transition to digital. But I, what I was trying to say in my own inimitable way was not so much that you are doing something through your publication or other businesses. Mm-hmm. It's really more a self-reflection. You mentioned bowl in a china shop or a closet. That's what I'm talking about. Have you ever stopped and said, you know, I could go a slightly different way with my personality? Or is, are you so ingrained in what you do that that's it? And your family accepts no, it? No, I agree. No, no, no. Because I look back and I'm embarrassed by some of the things that I've done. I mean, you've been around me a lot and like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> exactly. Right? But, but, do, but, but then I do notice, like, Here's what I, I, I mean on a, on a very close, and I don't discuss this with anyone, but on a very close personal level, you know, we, we have some close people that we're both close to. And, right. and I found out in life the people that most like me and my personality are the most loving, kind people that I know. And the people that are sort of standoffish and whatever all have other agendas. They're selfish. I mean, I, and it sounds like a weird thing to say. But I've truly noticed this. Like now at 55 years old, I'm able to look back and go, okay, why does this person and I get along so well? Why do they really like me and appreciate me? And, 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 and uh, you know, one of them is your father-in-law. Like why do, they, why do they feed this in me? Feed my nonsense is what I used to call it. Did you ever come to a conclusion? They're good people. And I think those people see what I'm about. I think they see through my veil of funniness and the way I break a room down and the way I come into like the room and, 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 and engage everybody. I don't take a lot of things too seriously. Obviously there's serious things in the world with health, really health issues and somebody health issues is probably the most serious. You can get out of pretty much anything else <laughs> except for death. Exactly. Um, and, but that's so, what I, that's what I wanted to get our listeners to get a sense of you personally. And then I want to talk to you about the magazine because yeah. it is an interesting publication and thank you for sharing the personal stuff with us. That, that's what, what the show is partly about, is to give people a sense of your passion, which you have it, and that's why I wanted to have you on. No, it's important. And, and, and listen, my, I go into a lot of it in my book. I've, I've obviously dived deeper with you right now. But when I came, for example, when I came to Las Vegas, what I noticed, and you, you, you don't have to agree or disagree because I don't want you in the middle of it all, but there are a lot of bullies, in, or at least there were, I, I still see some, in this city in the public relations industry, in the spirits and wine industry. And they would bully their way through and treat other people awful. So me as a media guy building an empire, which I can say now that we pretty much built, but coming in from ground level when I moved to Vegas in 2002, I watched people that made a difference in, in, in the city. I'm not going to say any names, but people that made a difference to what Las Vegas was and is being mistreated. The problem that I then became was I started becoming the advocate of those people and causing a lot of problems to the bullies. And I think that if I didn't do that, I would be a lot further along in life. (laughs) I'd be retired by now, Ira. But I couldn't hold back. I couldn't hold back watching a liquor company say, you can't get this unless you buy all this stuff for me, or you can't do that, or you can't, or PR companies not inviting I mean, there's one man that brought NASCAR to Vegas however decades ago. He happened to also been, what, Elvis Presley's PR guy, like, right? I think we know who we're talking about here. 
And he's not even respected by some of these PR companies. It's like, excuse me? Like, you wouldn't be here without a guy like that. And I see that on and on and on. A whole group of people that are sort of shunned by these PR people. So I took a stand. Yeah. And I took, I, and I I took a you. bigger stand. And I wasn't anything when I took the stand, except a, I was just a megaphone. I was just a mouthpiece at that point. Right? I knew what I was going to build, but I hadn't built anything yet. And I still fight and I still fight those. I still deal with the repercussions of fighting those battles today, 20 years later. How about amazing. that? Yeah, it is amazing. And I'm happy to do it, Ira. I'm happy to do it. That's your fighting. Guys like yeah, that. That's your, that's your uh, entrepreneurial and fighting spirit that you have. Yeah. And I'll do it with a smile. Oh yes. Right. right. Of course. I'll do it with a smile. Like, listen, I remember when, when Cirque du Soleil came, first came to Vegas, they had these, remember the big parties they used to have and blah, blah, blah. And they would disclude people. They would really disclude a lot. One of the guys they would they would disclude a lot, who I happen to adore. He was he was a, he was a t- movie star. He was in Saturday Night Fever. He was a, you know he's a, he's a legend. He does his own shows. He was on Johnny Carson 150 times. We don't need to say his name, but they would disclude this guy. And he was one of the biggest stars in the world on television at one time when there was only three channels to watch. Now why would they do that? There's no there's, it's nonsense. So I would grab my sword, which was the pen, and go to war for them. And I'm happy I did it. I'm happy if I could give a little, a little help to them. I'm happy. Because maybe when I'm an old bacafle, someone will do it for me. Now let's talk about your magazine, Food and Beverage Magazine. And thank you for sharing your history with us, too. Food and Beverage Magazine originally was obviously print, and you've made the transition now to digital. When did you decide to go digital? So, gosh, about like eight or nine years ago when the internet and email and all these things really started to take, maybe it's been a little bit more, maybe 10 years ago now, I keep forgetting time, really started to take hold. And I started, we were printing 10, 20,000, 30,000 copies a month. We were going all over the country. Not only did it become expensive for me to print it, but what was happening was because of that expense, I had to charge more money for advertising so we could be able to pay for it to be printed. So page rates would go up, you know, $16,000, $17,000. And I said to myself as we were doing this, it's not, it's not fair to the smaller companies that need to get their word out that I have to charge this kind of money just to get the, the food and beverage. So for the suppliers, right, if you are a tomato farmer or you are a guy that created a, a drink or whatever it was, and you didn't have those budgets. There was no way at that point to get the word out across the country other than just going to trade shows and trade shows and trade shows. So I said, I'm going to just take the leap. I mean, you spend a couple hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars in printing every month. So you, you don't have that expense, but then you're also going to lose the advertising dollar or hopefully they'll change with you. So I just took the jump off that cliff and a lot of people did not stay. They said, we only do print advertising. We don't do digital. Now I hear people, all they're saying is we don't do, we don't do, no, but I, we don't do digital. We only do print. Now all we hear is we don't do print. We only do digital. So I, was, <laughs> I was able, I was able to somehow stay the course on that roller coaster and fight my way through it. Really? So it went without, without investors, all on my own, all on my own. And it went 180 degrees. When, when totally you, different. Yeah, when you put the magazine together, and again, people can go to fbmagazine.com and take a look. When you put your magazine together, from an editorial standpoint, not an advertising standpoint, but from an editorial uh-huh. standpoint, 
how do you work it out? In other words, half will be about food, half will be about beverage, or one third food, one third beverage, and one third food and beverage. How, how do you? Work I don't that think out? we don't we don't really have an algorithm like that. Like we just go with it, and 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 I think it's better that I've just gone with it because it keeps us on trend. So we'll see success stories. We'll write about success stories because if someone is successful, and we and I like by the way to get success stories directly from the restaurants, directly from the brands. Obviously, PR companies send us a lot of stuff. But for some reason, to me, I, li- I think it means more when the guy himself is telling. Well, you can, get, to- you can get in touch with the guy once you get that note from the uh, PR agency and just set up a personal yeah. interview, right? Yeah, that, well, that works. Yeah. A lot of, I just want people to reach out. Like, I don't want ever a restaurateur or a guy with an idea ever to be afraid to just reach out to our magazine because that's who we are. I wasn't afraid when I reached out to people. I don't want them to be afraid, which is kind of a cool thing. Um, but yeah, we get great stories, and they're all success. If there's failure, there's a, there's a portion, and most of it's going to be successful. Like my book, when I wrote the book, I wanted to call it How to Fail Up, but they wouldn't let me. Wiley Publishing wouldn't let me call it that. They wanted a guide to restaurant success. I wanted to call it, you know, How to Fail and Be Successful, whatever, because it really it's a list of failures until you succeed. So it's okay, and that's the message that we want to say all the time. Hey, this guy had three or four things that didn't work. Now look at this. He's hitting the jackpot. Good for him. God bless. When I first started, I had a really cool board of advisors. It was Bobby Flay and Wolfgang Puck. And as you know, Robin Leach was a very big influence on my career. Robin, the last line of my book is Champagne, Washington, Caviar, Dreams, in Honor of Robin. Because without him, I wouldn't have met many of the people that I met and been able to take that to the next level. And that was, that's a beautiful thing. If you, even if you don't ask for help, take it. <laughs> yeah, if someone's offering it to you, absolutely. Has it been a little bumpy in the sense that did the industry take a big hit with COVID from your point of view? I mean, obviously restaurants did, but what about from the magazine point of view? The magazine, our readership jumped crazy, like doubles, right? From like 7 million a month to 14, almost 15 million a month in readers. That's because everybody was home and they wanted information and we were feeding them information all the time. And And it wasn't political based and it wasn't even medical based. It was just information on the industry. Mm-hmm. how to succeed, what to do, how to make changes, what you could quickly do. I noticed, you know, in the beginning, everybody was scared, didn't know what to do. So they shut down. They didn't know about the delivery stuff. And I'll tell you that the, the Ubers and the Grubhubs and the Postmates, and the DoorDashes, the delivery and coming to pick it up and curbside service, that saved a lot of restaurants and a lot of people's livelihoods. It really did. And if they did it right, and it was technology. So if this, I can see if this had happened before without all this fantastic technology, where would we be? So creative solutions allowed the industry to survive during COVID. Beyond, yeah. I mean, it was it's interesting because it's not really restaurant solutions. It's just a tech solution. Isn't that interesting? Used to for that. Yeah, it's which text is, and, and, what's your, amazing. and what's your delivery system? How am I going to get that food to the customers? Right. And now what's happening is, so there's, there's, I don't know if you've heard of this new social media platform called Clubhouse. Have you heard of this? Have not. No, those two things now I have not heard of so far. All right. That's okay. So Clubhouse is a, it's almost like a giant, you go to different rooms and and your club and you talk about different things, almost like a, uh, like a phone, like where all your friends sit on the phone and phone chat, right? Like a Zoom chat with everybody on Zoom. Yeah, but it's no video. It's all, it's, it's just like all audio. Well, you can, right? get, you can get audio Zoom and all be on yeah, audio yeah, Zoom yeah, as yeah. well. Sure. But, it's, but you'll look at a lobby and you'll say, I want to join that room. I want to look at Food and Beverage Magazine's room on how to, how to, uh, 
how to work with, with, with the delivery company. So what I've noticed, what I was hearing a lot of was the complaints about the delivery services, about the percentages they were taking. Yeah, that's a been business. a thorn in restaurants uh, for, for, yes, during the whole COVID. And it's a business, Ira. So I was like, listen, you have a choice as another business owner to use the service or not use the service. Use it the, the, the best way you can to, to bring awareness to what you do and don't complain about it or don't use it. So I was a very, I was an advocate on that. It wasn't, I didn't like it or dislike it. The, my point of view was, and I would, I would talk about this, was if you're going to complain about something, don't do it. Really cut and dry. Now you, now, you may not succeed, but that's your choice. But at least you're not getting that agenda. Don't complain about it. Just do it. Try or, to keep or it you, yeah, or you get together with other restaurateurs and you create your own delivery service. Yeah, and now what's happened is, as you, as you know how progress works, tech progress, now there's companies that do that, and they basically outsource DoorDash or whatever, and it's like three bucks a delivery or something they have to pay. So things changed for that way because of that. So it was good. It was a good thing, and it's getting better now. What I did notice, and I've owned a bunch of restaurants in my life, and it's, it's a horrible experience, but I, ha- I had to do it. I'm about to launch another huge concept, which I'll get into in a second. But I did notice that during COVID, wasteful spending – really shined through all of a sudden and you saw that even being here in vegas all of a sudden all these people lost their jobs or they stopped doing this or they stopped carrying that or with this closed or that bar closed and they could see now and then things weren't happening for what reason because it was all a wasteful spending so i think people learned a lesson on that as well i now i don't know that they've learned it enough because i i saw i'm seeing a lot of bad decisions being made right now but that could also be because of the uh the speed that they need to get back up to. So that, that could yeah, be ramping it up. You mentioned just a moment ago that you have a new project. Well, what is that? Well, it's called Lunch with Iris Sternberg. <laughs> I thought that would be yeah. so. What we're what we're, what we're about to do, Ira. I still have your little lunchbox, by the way. That Thank I you. And for listeners years, that may uh, not know, I used to have a show called Lunchtime with Ira, and of course, Michael was a guest on, and he we gave lunch boxes filled, by the way, with a sandwich, potato chips, and a piece of fruit, like a banana. And we gave brilliant. it to each guest that appeared on the show. It was, and I still have your lunchbox. How about that? Excellent. Uh, after all the, that's what, 15 years later. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so the new, the new, what we're doing now is because of COVID, because of the industry, because of the way things are, because of me being in the position that we're in at the magazine, we now know that there are so many people with great ideas that just can't afford to open up places. So we are now going to open up the food and beverage magazine test kitchen. The Test Kitchen is a place, a home, you want to say, for chefs or culinarians or foodies or anybody that wants to basically rent out a restaurant for the night to create their own restaurant. Interesting. So if you're a culinary student, you have all these friends that want to try your food. Well, now for, I don't know, whatever the fee is going to be, you know, however many, whatever the hourly fee is going to be, not a lot. You'll be, you'll be able to rent a restaurant front and back of the house. Create your own restaurant. Now it can be called Jack Belovsky's Gilbilta Fish Factory. <laughs> right? So I love, it could be anything I love the you concept. Have. Yeah, it's a right? great it idea. Could be, yep. it could, if your wife or husband make a beautiful Italian meal and that you know all your friends love the way they cook, you could actually rent the restaurant for a Sunday night and invite all your friends in and cook for them all. When do you think that's going to be open? So we're like deep, deep, deep into the process now. 
what I'm doing. We're, di- we're deep diving now into the numbers. I found a location in Vegas right now, but a larger company wants to purchase or partner, is probably a better word, the concept with us and do it all over the country. And since so everybody's we, listening around the country and around the world, once you announce it, which if they go to, of course, fbmagazine.com, I'm sure there will be an announcement. Yeah, oh yeah, there'll right? be an announcement. Yeah, we want to do that. We're going to have memberships for chefs and people that work in restaurants because we want to have them. And a membership meeting, they'll get discounts on the rentals and they'll be able to come in and do things. And we want to make sure they can make money. We want you to rent the place and make money. It's we, okay. If so we it's break a, even, that's fine. Yeah, you so it's a win-win money. situation. It's great. And we'll have a resource center to build the community of the chefs and of the foodies. And they'll all be able to come and have coffee. And we're not going to charge them for that stuff. Come in, use our resource center, read all the books. Of course, my book, I hate keep talking about my book, Ira, but it is the best. This is your fourth mention of the book. So go ahead and give the title. Guide to Restaurant Success by, my, by Michael Paul. You can, you can look it up. It's, on, it's at Barnes & Noble. It's on Amazon. It's, it's on, and wherever fine, I'm supposed to say, Ira, and wherever fine books are sold. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. That's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Michael Politz, publisher, CEO, and founder of Food and Beverage Magazine, which provides authoritative coverage of trends and industry news and is an online destination for restaurants and hospitality influencers. For everything about Food and Beverage Magazine, go to fbmagazine.com, and you can follow the magazine on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And Michael, thanks for being on the show. It was truly a pleasure. I'd be happy to be on the show every day with you, Ira. Well, we may do this again. And join us every Thursday for a new schmear on Ira's Everything Bagel.